0: Um, Thank you, Ryan, so much for having me. It is really an honor to be here. It is, um, I say this, I think, every time, but one of the great gifts that I could have in my life as an educator is to see somebody like Ryan doing ministry and and building on the work that we did at his um, high school together. And so it is such a gift to get to come back here. Um, We actually are very much on the same page because my little disclaimers were very similar to his. Um, I am also not an expert. I am also just hoping to begin the conversation and I am not gonna get everything right up here today. In fact, if I get something wrong, what I hope will happen is you'll get in the car um, with your kids and you'll say, I didn't agree with that, what that guy said. How about you? And it'll start a conversation that continues in the car on the way home. Um, one last thing that I want to say before I really get rolling on some of the things I want to talk about is this. Um, to all of you who are in middle school and high school, I absolutely love your generation. You guys are amazing. And I want you to hear this as well. I believe in you. And I believe that you guys have the power to handle these things, okay? Got one in my pocket right here. You guys have the power to handle these things better than they've been handled so far. The deal with it is this. You all have been given a challenge. It's not a challenge you picked up on your own, okay? You know, a five-year-old didn't invent a phone and hand it to you. Adults made these phones and handed it to young people, kind of not knowing what we were doing. And now we feel like we've sort of got this mess on our hands. But the other day, a, s- a fellow faculty member asked me, do you have hope for the future when it comes to these phones? And I said, yes, I absolutely do. And he said, why? And I said, because of your generation. I think you guys are going to be the ones who get it together. You guys are going to be the ones that figure out how to use these things well and how to raise children who use them well, because I think you understand it in a lot of ways better than we do as adults. And so I just want you to know that I believe in you. So the, the stuff that sometimes we hear like, oh, these phones have ruined a generation, No. Not a chance. You guys are amazing, and I love you, and I like you, and I believe in you. And you guys, I think, are going to handle these really well. Um, So um, what we're going to talk about today is um, kind of the transformational power of technology. And so what I want you to to realize is, and maybe you can bring up the one that's got like the the pencil on the side, um, that I'm not today going to talk about the content that comes through our phone or the content that we produce and send out to the world. Um, I think you guys know that there is dangerous and degrading and difficult content that can come through the internet and can come through social media, and we need to be really careful about what kind of content we consume. We also have the ability, because of these things, to send out really difficult, degrading, demeaning, dangerous content into the world, and and we need to have conversations about the content, okay? But today, I'm actually not going to talk about content. I'm going to talk about the actual way this thing works, because what I'm gonna make the claim today is that this thing is a big deal. It is a transformational piece of technology. It is a world changer, it is a person changer, and it matters how we handle it. Okay, so there's a quote from a book that um, has been really impactful for me. It's a book called The Shallows, and it says this, "'In the long run, a medium's content matters "'less than the media itself in influencing "'how we think and act. "'It's not just what it says, it's how the thing works.'" And in fact, in this book, they talk about when we first started writing things down. They're like, the invention of writing was huge because what used to happen is people would stand across from each other and they would tell each other the stories of their history. The only way to know what had happened in the past was a one-on-one exchange between other people and then you had to memorize it. When we started writing things down, it absolutely transformed the way people interacted with the world related to each other, knew about their history. Writing was transformational in the way our brains worked, in the way that our whole society worked. And the author of this book says, hey, I've got news for you. The internet and the smartphone is just as big of a deal as when we invented writing. It is transforming how we relate to each other. It is transforming how we relate to the world, and we need to be ready for it. So what I want to do is I actually don't want to start with the phone, okay? Because we're, when we go right to this and we kind of like, here's the problem, this, this is where the issue is, and I think we miss what's, uh, some really deeper truths, I want to start with Scripture. And I want to start with how formation is supposed to happen. Um, what we're supposed to be transformed into and what we're supposed to be transformed by. So I just want to share a few scriptures with you, and if you could put those up there, um, that would be great, that I hope will be scripture that are about formation. Um, and so I think it's just the next slide, hopefully. Yeah. Um, so just a couple concepts. 2 Corinthians 3 says this, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The idea in scripture is that as we are able to see clearly who the Lord is and contemplate his glory, that what happens is we naturally start to look more like Jesus. But what's the problem in our world is too many times there's veils between us and God. There's things that make it difficult for us to contemplate him, and when it's harder to contemplate him, then it's harder for us to be transformed into his image. Worship is meant to shape us. Looking at things is meant to transform us, and the quote that I have here, the phrase I want you to remember is, we become what we behold. The things that we look at, the things that we praise, the things that we spend our time with, that transforms us typically into their image. And that's how it's supposed to be, because that's how it's supposed to be with God. I'm going to kind of just summarize this one and, and move past it because we're going to come back to it at the end. But there's an idea right in the middle of Romans 12:2 that I absolutely love that we are not supposed to conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind okay, into the image of Christ. And so I'm just going to say right here, when it comes to these things, one of the things we have to acknowledge is we should not handle them just the way everybody else does. We should handle it differently so that we can be transformed because we're looking after a different image. All right, the next slide um, gives us two more scriptures I want us to think about. Psalm 115 talks about God versus idols made by man, and it's, it's chilling. This is what it says. It says, our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But they're idols, okay? So the world's idols are silver and gold made by human hands. And here's the line that is so challenging. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. Hey, when we make things and when we craft technology, um, what you'll hear the phrase is technology turns back on us and it starts working on us and changing us. The idols that we create, the things that occupy our time and our minds and our eyes and our hearts start to shape us into their image. We start to become like them if we're not careful. I mean, the phrase that I want you to think of there is you are what you love. It's actually a book that I read that is one of the most challenging ones I've read recently about how we desire things and want things and how those desires shape us. And then the last thing I would say is this here is what I think our challenge is, therefore. Um, our challenge is not to be mastered by anything. Okay, this thing has a lot of good things about it. But as I said right here, it makes a good servant but a terrible master. Um, That phrase has been used to talk about a lot of things. Money makes a great servant, but a terrible master. Fire makes a great servant, but a terrible master. When we use things for our benefit and for the good of people, then they're great. But when those things start to use us, then things change and we start to live lives that we didn't intend to live. So I wanted to start there because I think Scripture is so important in this area, And so what that leads us to is, I'll I'll share this one thing from the book before I have you converse a little bit, is that book, You Are What You Love, said this, Um, it's the next slide. It says that the idea that we are being transformed by our technologies and we're being shaped by the things around us should cause us to do this, a liturgical audit of our life. That's a big phrase um, that says we would find time to pause for reflection on the rituals and rhythms of our life. Look at our daily, weekly, monthly, and annual routines. What are the things you do that do something to you? So the question I want us to think about is this. What are the things I do that do something to me? What are the things I use that transform and shape me? What are my habits and routines that affect the way that I see the world and I interact with people? Those are the questions I want to be thinking about. So here's what we're going to do. I'm I'm um I'm a teacher and so I like for there to be conversation and I don't like it to be all me that's talking. So you're going to have to talk for a little bit. I call these 30-second conversations. So it's really short. So what I need is you're going to need to be um this is going to be a cross-generational conversations. So if you've got your child here or if you've got a kid that you're nearby or if you're an adult with just a, a you know younger student who's nearby, I'm going to give you 30-second conversations. Have you go answer my little questions as quick as you can, then I'm going to stop you and I'm going to bring you back, and I'm going to give you another 30-second conversation. And what these are going to be about is about the way that we interact with the media Kind of the way we did it in the old days and the way that we do it now. So the first one is this, and so in just a second, I'll tell you to find your person. Um, but your question, your challenge is this. If you are, uh, we'll, we'll call you of the older generation, okay? What I want you to do is I want you in less than like 15 seconds to describe to a young person the steps involved in playing a record, and then in skipping to the next song if you don't like the one that comes on. And if you're a younger generation, I want you as quick as you can in about 15 seconds to explain to the older generation how to make a Spotify playlist. Okay? All right, so you have 30 seconds to find somebody and cross-generationally explain those two things before I stop you. Ready? And find somebody and tell them. Go.
1: Standing here in your presence in a grace so relentless, I have won oh, by perfect love. Hey, Ryan, that's within the arms of heaven. In
0: a peace. R- maybe maybe these guys. I want them to have somebody to yeah. mercy, see. All right, you've got about ten seconds to finish that one. All right, five, four, three, two, one. All right, so stop that one. If you need some more time to go back to it, I've got another one. Okay, so older generation, in the 80s and 90s, if you were getting in your car and you didn't know how to get somewhere, how'd you figure it out? Okay, you need to tell them. Okay, you're going to tell them in just a second. Okay, younger generation, tell the older generation, what is Snapchat and why do you use it instead of texting? Okay, okay. all right. Three, two, one, go. I lift
1: my head to see your glory, Lord, I hope so beautiful. Here in you I find shelter, captivating.
0: two, one, zero. Okay, I've got one last challenge for you. This one involves um, uh, the adults talking for a second and then the students helping the the adults out with something. Um, Adults, when I give you your time and your quick answer, I need you to describe the process of going to Blockbuster Video to rent a movie um, and what that is. And then selfies, and then students, using your adult's phone, show them how to take a selfie the right way. Okay, show them how to take it the right way, and then take one with them, okay? Three, two, one, go. Take those selfies for me as you get a
1: chance.
0: (laughs) Alright, you have five seconds to take your selfie. Five, four, three, two, one. You take it, you get a good one. (laughs) You didn't make her do it you know what? I'm, I'm right with you. I, I'm, I'll share that in just a second. Tell me your name. Christy. I, I'm a huge fan. Um, all right, so I just found out something really cool about your group. Um, Christy right here has never taken a selfie, so you, you refused, right? Because, and, and here's what I, I, this is funny that you did that. I, I'm weird about, like, having streaks and, like, not doing things, okay? Like, for, like, 30 years, I was like, I will never pay for valet parking, and so I'd pull in and, like, park random other places. I've never taken a selfie in my life, and I'm, like, sticking with it. I'm going to see if I can die without ever, ever taking a selfie, and so I'm okay with that. Um, and, and I didn't mean to pressure you into something that you sh- didn't want to do. Um, so, but here's, here's what, real quick. Did anybody learn anything that they didn't know at that time? What'd you learn? Okay, how to get a movie from, blockbuster. so you've, you've never seen a blockbuster, you've never been to blockbuster, that was kind of a new thing. Did they tell you about how if you didn't rewind it at the end, you could get fined? That was, how ridiculous is that? That's crazy. Yes? Yeah, moving, changing songs is no joke. Okay, fi- finding the right spot is difficult. Yes, what you learn? Yeah, how to do that, okay? Think about how different our world is now that you just click on something and you get a movie. Okay, uh, yeah? sorry, say that again? Yeah, didn't know about the rewinding thing. Okay, one of the... Special rewinders to make it go back. One of the things that that gets me is I kind of don't remember how I got places in my car without GPS. (laughs) I legitimately sometimes am like, I don't know, I think I just knew where I was going. Um, So here's why we're having just kind of some of that like strange little bits and pieces of kind of media consumption is if I do have an area that I've learned about over the past 15 years it's because it's, it's in the area of watching young people and their interaction with media. Um, I have for 15 years taught a class at Wesleyan that is called Christianity and Contemporary Culture in which we talk about how culture impacts us and what it means to live out our faith in the midst of a culture that's very challenging to what we're trying to do in faith. And I would say that media, okay, and social media is one of the biggest challenges. And one of the ones that has gotten me over and over again is the way that kind of, interacting with media now is a totally different experience than it used to be. I think about me when I was growing up trying to watch television, right? And it meant that on Thursday night at 7, I had to sit down with my sisters and my mom and at a certain time, and we had to watch a show. And if anything objectionable came on, my mom, like, put her hands over my eyes. And if a second objectionable thing came on, the TV was turned off and I was going to bed. Okay, like that's what I remember. And then I talk to a lot of my students now and it's like, well, tell me how you watch television. And they're like, oh, it's like 11.30 at night. It's on Netflix. It's on my phone. Nobody's there. And I'm like, oh my gosh. We've transformed the way that, that students are interacting with the world just by the way that we um, watch television. Same thing about music and Spotify. And so I actually have, have asked students this question. So I think I've got it on the next slide. How are you different from your parents' generation simply because of Netflix, Spotify, and smartphones? So how have you been changed by the way that you interact with media? And I'll just say adults were not completely off the hook. I put it down here. How are you different from how you used to be because of Netflix, Spotify, and smartphones? And what I'm about to share, I want to make this very clear. What I'm about to share is what students have said to me. This is not me saying this is what I see in them. This is what they've said about themselves. And so I want you to know this is a a self-assessment of them because I think there's some truth in it, but I also think they've embraced some of the negative stuff that I would love for you guys as young people to not embrace, but to say, I don't want to be that way. But this is how students responded when I asked them this question. So they gave me some answers. How are you different? Um, And so they talked about the good, so I want to start there. They were like, you know what, we're good multitaskers, much better than our parents' generation. We're quick thinkers. We have a diversity of taste and experience. We're more knowledgeable of the wider world. We're much more flexible than they are. We're open-minded and tolerant. They kind of talk about, they say, because of the way that Spotify works, because of the way that Netflix works, because of the way my smartphone works, I have a broader range of knowledge and experience than my parents did at this particular time. And I tend to have a little bit more openness and flexibility towards the world. And that's kind of what they credit themselves with, which I think is pretty cool. Um, The multitasking thing, the jury's still out on whether you guys are good at that. Um, My students are like, oh, yeah, I did homework for four hours last night and also watched four hours of Netflix. And I'm like, those were at the same time. No wonder your homework was terrible. Um, But then these same students, I mean, they just, and they have no qualms saying this. They'll go, yeah, but let me tell you what this stuff does to me. It makes me impatient, lazy, unappreciative, distracted, selfish. I don't have much accountability. I'm kind of socially awkward. I'm anxious. I'm discontent. And this isn't everybody saying they're all of these things, but these are a lot of the words that young people say to me because, and they're like, we know I know what this stuff does to me a lot. I know how it kind of makes me feel a lot of times. Um, the other day, I was on the bus driving a softball team to our game, and I said, when you get on Instagram, how does it make you feel? And she was like, I wish I could tell you that it made me feel happy, but the answer is insecure. And I was like, oh, <laughs> man, this is tough. And then I had another girl, and it was a bunch of students in a row. I said, I said all right, so let me ask you this. Your phone, does it, does it make your life better? And two or three girls, they were like, no. And I said, does it make you a better person? And they were like, no, definitely not. And I was like, would you ever consider giving it up for a while? And they were like, not a chance. (laughs) <laughs> and, and I kind of joked with them, and I was like, those are the words of an addict. <laughs> like, and, and they were like, we know. Like, it's, it, it's okay. But what, what they're acknowledging in a way that even sometimes us adults are is that there are challenges to these things, okay? And that, that social media and phones and all this kind of stuff, it has an impact on us in a lot of different ways. And it's because in this world, okay, so something like unappreciative, they say, look, if you're playing a record across the room and you hear a song come on, and you don't really like it that much, in the old days, you probably are just like, I'll just listen to it. And then eventually you might find out that you like it. In the new day, if a song comes on and five seconds in, you don't like it, you're done with it. And what they're saying to them is they started noticing this affecting other areas of life. If they meet somebody and they don't like them right away, it's like, nah, I'm done with that. They go to a church and they don't like it right away, I'm done with that what they start to notice is what the little things that are happening in their TV shows and in their songs are starting to affect the way that they relate to the world a little bit. And that's what they're saying to me. So again, that's from them. Okay, so that's them. I'm, this this slide I'm going to go real quick because this is like, if we if it's real bad, if like the, the iPhone is sinister and the smartphone is sinister, this is kind of what we get. So... CNN had an article and it was like, let me tell you how the this smartphone is ruining us. And we don't really get our ideas from CNN, but I'm just putting it out there. That bad for our brains, causing us to ignore the world, promote FOMO, increase our need for constant validation, make us available for work 24-7. It's all these problems. Bill Maher, not a guy that we want to follow at all, but... He says, the tycoons of social media have to stop pretending that they're friendly nerd gods building a better world and admit they're just tobacco farmers in t-shirts selling an addictive product to children because, let's face it, checking your likes is the new smoking. I mean, some of our people out there are like, it's the worst, okay? It's so bad. And, and I would say I think that Christians actually can come at this with a little bit more nuance um, and Desiring God is a Christian website that I think said some, some really powerful stuff that I tend to go this direction with it. Not the like fire and brimstone, oh my gosh, it's ruining our lives, but hold on a second. I think it might be causing us to believe some things that aren't true. Um, said It's leading us to believe that my story is the ultimate truth. That whatever I experience, whatever I go through, that, whatever, whatever I believe, that's it. Because what this thing does is it kind of, it caters everything to just you and your experience. And the more we interact with this, the more we start to think, you know what, it really is all about me. And that's a dangerous place to land. Um, The second thing is leading us to believe that whatever isn't working for me needs to be removed. That that anything that disagrees or that I don't like immediately, it's just like, everything's disposable. Okay, that's kind of what I was talking about before. And then a third one is leading us to believe that I have to say something. I thought this was a fascinating thing. If I'm sitting in a room with you, and we're talking, and you talk for 30 minutes, and I sit and listen you're going to really value that interaction. But if we have that same thing on social media and I don't respond, I don't exist. Silence is non-existence in the world of phones and social media. We I mean, think about how much the Bible values silence and listening and all that. There, there is no listening when it comes to our phones. If we don't say something, we don't exist in this world. And so um, these are the things that I start to say, maybe not so much like it's going to, you know, it's going to ruin everything, but a little bit more of this more nuanced approach um, that I think Christianity can say is is we want this to point us towards, towards some deeper values. So here's how I summarize this. This is big picture. This is where I'm like, tell me if I'm wrong. When I summarize it, I say this. I think our phones and social media and all that creates a culture of discontent and anxiety. It kind of, if we're not careful, it makes us feel like who we are and what we have is not good enough and it could be a little bit better. kind of does that to us a lot. Second, it creates a culture of entitlement and choice. It's not the way I want it to be, but it should be. Okay? It should be, and there's options for that. And then the culture of impatience and distraction, where it should be that way now. It should be that way immediately. It should be fixed at this particular moment. Um, It's so funny. So I actually put this slide together a couple years ago, and YOLO FOMO was something that at the time people said. People don't say it anymore. Okay, I'm already out of date with those two phrases, so I, I don't really use them. But the idea was, you only live once, so I need to get it done now, but I'm terrified that I'm missing out on something important, is kind of the feeling um, that this stuff creates a lot of times. But don't use those phrases, adults. They're not cool anymore. Okay? Um, so here's what I call this, and here's what I kind of, if I have a thesis, here it is. Unfortunately, I think that we have become a culture of settlers, And what I'm going to make the point is, is I don't think the problem with this thing is that it's evil. I think the problem with this thing is that it's almost good enough. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Um, So a number of years ago, I went to a place, um, I went to college in North Carolina, and uh, my buddies and I loved to hike. And one weekend, we decided that we were going to hike to the top of Mount Mitchell. Mount Mitchell is the highest mountain east of the Mississippi River. I believe the elevation is like 6,654 feet. And I was super excited about this. We were backpacking from 1,000 feet of elevation to 6,654 feet of elevation. So we had these big, huge backpacks on. We're going to camp halfway up the mountain. It was a ridiculously difficult hike. So we get hiking the first day. I load up my pack. It's got all this gear. And we hike up about 3,000 feet of elevation. We find a place to camp. My buddies all camp. And I'm like, okay, this is really, really hard. I'm really, really tired, but you know what's going to be so amazing? Tomorrow we're going to get to the top of this mountain, and me and my six buddies are going to be standing, looking out over all of the Appalachian Mountains, just us in one of the most beautiful places on the east coast, in the eastern side of the United States. I can't wait. So we get up the next day, get our tent all packed up, put the backpack back on. We've got another 2,600 feet of elevation, another couple miles with our packs, I'm like, but I'm just so excited about the the reward that awaits us at the top of this mountain, which is us standing where very few people have ever been before and looking out over this incredible vista. And so we're walking, and as we start to approach, and I am just worn out. Okay, I'm a college student. I'm in pretty good shape, but I am like worn to the bone. I'm so tired. And as I'm walking, we're like a quarter mile from the top. um, An old man who looked to be about like 85 walked past me, and I was like, oh my gosh, that dude's amazing. Like, he just hiked up like 5,000 feet of elevation to get here. That is really awesome. And then I kind of am trudging along with my backpack. And then about an eight-year-old girl with like flip-flops on (laughs) goes zipping past me. And and I went like, man, the the people of the mountains of North Carolina are tough. (laughs) Okay, like these guys, these guys can do anything. And then the next person that walked past me was like, smoking a cigarette, and didn't look like she could walk more than about 100 yards without needing to take a break. And I went, something's wrong here. And I got to the top of the mountain, and we turned a corner around some trees, and I, my, I opened up my eyes onto a parking lot, and a snack shop, and snow cone machine, and postcards. And I realized everybody had just driven to the top. Because why would you ever take the slow agonizing, painful way to get to someplace if you could just drive there. Well, here's why. There were hundreds of people on the top of that mountain. The five of us were the only five that were looking at the view. The rest of them were mostly buying postcards of the view and eating snacks from the snack machine because they didn't care. They didn't value the experience. They hadn't hiked all those miles. They just drove to the top. And here's what I think is happening, we have deep desires, we have core values, we want things like to see beauty, but if somebody gives us a shortcut, we will take it. And what I don't think we realized is that the shortcut would take away a lot of the joy. And so here's kind of what I'm going to claim for us as being a culture of settlers and what I think this does for us, is um, I'm going to give a bunch of categories, and typically I like to reveal these kind of one by one, but... um, well, actually, I'm going to give a quote first. Um, so, it, Culture of Settlers, I th- this was inspired by a quote by C.S. Lewis, who said this, "...it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased." What CS Lewis is saying is we far too often settle for the easy thing that we kind of want and as a result never get to the beautiful, powerful thing that we really need. And so here's um, the things that I have kind of listed out. This is just me. Make your own categories for this. But here's some of the things I think we settle for um, versus what we actually need. And so it's this next slide. It's kind of what a phone can provide versus what um, real life can provide. We'll settle for entertainment, but what we really want is experience. Um, We'll settle for authenticity, meaning just being true to yourself, but what we really need is true, like capital T, truth. Um, We'll settle for something just being relevant when what we really need is relationships. We'll settle for knowledge, a bunch of information, when what we really need is wisdom. We'll settle for connection between people when what we really need is community. It's a big one. We'll settle for something that gives me a little bit of comfort, even though it's not providing me any peace. Um, We'll settle for some kind of plan, like I know what I'm going to do next, but we don't necessarily get all the way to purpose. And then this is kind of my my final thing, is we'll settle for followed and liked when what we really are looking for deep in our soul is to be known and loved. Um, The problem is that this thing can almost give it to us. I want you to picture that you're really hungry, and somebody gives you a bag of Starburst. If you eat the bag of Starburst, you're not going to be hungry anymore. In a sense, that cures your hunger. And eating Starburst is not a bad thing. They're really good. I chose my favorite candy for a reason. They're good. But if you have a steady diet of eating Starburst in order to fulfill your hunger, it's not going to go well long term. And that's kind of what I'm saying this is. It's not evil, just like Starburst isn't evil. It just can't fill the deepest desires of our hearts. And when we try to have it do that, then we end up lacking. So the reason why it's dangerous is not because it's so evil all the time, but sometimes because it's almost good enough. So a couple more quotes that I really liked, and, um, and then hopefully I can kind of bring this um, to a conclusion that will make sense to you. Um, if you'll go to that next quote... <clears throat> Um, Tim Keller said this to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial to be known and not loved is our greatest fear But to be fully known and truly loved is well a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything That's what I think we're going for Um, And then a a guy who really analyzes culture and social media and all he said strengthen relationships. There ain't no app for that Um, We can't substitute for that. And so what I see in this room people gathered to talk about this gives me such great hope because this is a big deal. Um strengthen relationships, being known and loved, being able to look somebody in the eye and know they know you who, who you are and they love you. To have that experience with other people, to have that experience with God is an incredible thing. Um so I'm just going to rattle off my my quick like here's one way that I have come to solve this. I'll I'll acknowledge this is very adult. Like this this is like big-time, you know, challenge to do something like this, um, but it's, it, I think it's one of the best ways. It's going really old-school, but this is one of the solutions I have found to dig deeper into the things we really need um, versus just settling for the things that we want. Um, the spiritual disciplines. Uh, so, what we call these things, these phones, they're an ecosystem of interruption technologies. What they do is they demand your attention all the time, and they interrupt you all the time. And so what we need Uh, What we lack is concentration and patience, and what we need is a depth of focus. Well, the spiritual disciplines are things like silence, solitude, Sabbath, and prayer. I'm going to show you one of the coolest things you're going to ever learn about this, this thing right here. It's right here. It's a power button. I know it's crazy to even mention it, but it turns off. That means you're in control of it. In silence, solitude, Sabbath, those things can happen if we just turn it off or just throw it in the other room. Um, In a world of disposable media, what we lack sometimes is appreciation and contemplation. What we need is depth of thinking. That's where spiritual disciplines like meditation, study, and journaling come in. And I know that sounds like, can I really do that? Yes. It takes practice. It takes time to dig into some deeper things, but we need it. Um, And then finally, communities progressing towards isolation. These things can pull us away from people. And we think we're connecting, and they give us just a little glimpse of connecting, but we often find ourselves pulling away. And what I would say to that is we need depth of relationship, and that's where disciplines like community, worship, and service come in. Um, There's a book that I'll recommend at some point. It's called Digital Minimalism. It's actually not even a Christian book, but he's got some really powerful stuff in it. He said, you're more likely to succeed in reducing the role of digital tools in your life if you cultivate high-quality alternatives to the easy distraction they provide. It's not enough to just say, I'm getting rid of this thing. We get rid of it so that we can replace it with something so much better. Um, The things that we actually need, the things that will actually satisfy, the things that will actually fulfill us. So two quotes to close and then I am all done. Um, This is one of the things that I challenge you to think about going forward. Um, this book said, in my work on this topic, I become convinced that you need to instead is a full-fledged philosophy of technology use in your families and in your life, rooted in your deep values that provides clear answers to the questions of what tools you should use, how you should use them, equally important, enables you to confidently ignore everything else. It's not going to happen all by itself. The idea is, let's talk this through, and as a family and as individuals, let's have a philosophy based on what we value the most so that this serves our deepest values, not we serve it and whatever it's asking us to do today. And then this is where I'm going to bring us back, because we should always close in Scripture. Um, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This will be a sacrifice. Figuring out what to do with this thing is not easy, but when we offer ourselves and our schedules and our time, and we sacrifice that to the Lord, what we'll find is we won't conform to the pattern of the world. We won't just do it like everybody else does it, but instead we'll be transformed because we'll start thinking in a different way about our phones, about each other, about life, um, because this is a transformative piece of technology. But we serve a much more transformative God, who if we can set this down and find time to be with him beholding the glory of God, then we will be transformed step by step into his image. And that's really what we want. Um, so let me pray for us. Um, Heavenly Father, um, I am so grateful for this time. Um, I, hope that, I hope that there's some truth in there and that there's something good in there and that your spirit was present um, to help my words be your words and to help um, the folks who are here to have ears to hear. Um, I know that I do not have this figured out and none of us do. Um, we feel like we're still just kind of fumbling around trying to know what to do um, with this technology that's been um, handed to us. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to handle it faithfully in accordance with our deepest values and in accordance with um, who you are and who you want us to be. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Can we thank Greg? Um,
2: just real quick, that's it's bothering me, too. It's weird calling you Greg, too, yeah, Mr. Listen. Sorry. Um, so real quick, as, as we kind of close our time, um, I'm going to ask Greg just w- one or two quick questions. Um, we're going to really get into some practical areas of this next week, but there's a reason we're not this week, and I'll explain that next week. Um, I promise it will make sense. But so, so, Greg, I guess, you know, <laughs> so what, what do you think practically um, for, for the parent, and for the student, um, what are steps? Do we need to have a youth party next week where we burn our phones in a bonfire mm-hmm. next week? Yeah. we celebrate that way? No. Do we, what, mm-hmm. should we, what should we, we're not doing that, but yeah. what should we, what, what is the next step for a parent possibly? Yeah. And, and what is the next step for a student possibly?
0: Yeah, um, so I I will say the idea wasn't to talk about a ton of like practical things, because I think a lot of times that plays out at home, um, but to maybe talk about some big picture concepts that maybe put some words and thoughts to to what you're looking for. Um, But I I, I did say to Ryan, just so you know that I'm not just like saying a bunch of stuff, um, we do have some practical things that we do in our house um, that my wife and I do that have been really transformative for us. And I'll just share two of them. One's more for me and one was for both of us. Is just the simplicity of having a set time at which the phone goes on the charger at night and doesn't come back out. And then um, being sure that I begin my day. So this was what was such a, a huge realization for me. I want the first voice I hear in the morning, well, the first two, to be my wife and Jesus. And if I pick up that phone first, The first voice I hear is no longer under my control. And so the the challenge is it goes into its charger, and we don't pull it out um, until the next morning. And you don't pull it out until after your time of prayer and in Scripture, simply to give preeminence to to the Lord. Um, And that little shift has been so transformative. I still use my phone. I still use it quite a bit, um, but only after. Quiet time and prior to going to bed. And then I would say the second one is, this book actually had it a few different times, is it just said, hey, if there's an app or if there's a website or if there's something that is really valuable to you but you find it distracting you, just remove it from your phone and only like go to that website on a computer. And I did that with ESPN. I'm such a sucker for ESPN. Like, I will check the same scores 30 times, even though I know what happened, because it's right there on my phone, and I find myself getting distracted and reading the same articles over and over again, and all that happened is moved the app to, just said, I'm going to only do this on my computer, and it, that tiny little shift caused me to not use it anymore. And so what, what I was, the reason why I share those is because the process of getting to that was simply identifying a value, like, this is something I want that is bigger better more important than this you know kind of technology and then just making like a simple decision that reflected that value as opposed to having the phone at all times so that was just two two of them to consider
2: that's awesome and Mm -hmm. so what we'll talk a little bit like about next week is the key is not destroying your phone or never talking on the phone again or, or taking your tv the key is is biblically is managing this keeping the fire In the fireplace, right? That's the key. That's what we want to do um, with everything in our lives—with with with money, with entertainment, with with whatever. But but this semester, this month, we're talking about how do we do that with our phones? It's just about biblically managing our technology, right? So, what does that look like? So, the only other thing that that I would love to to just be curious about is um, all right. So maybe we've got some interested people. What are some resources maybe that Mm -hmm. they can look up? Um, when they get home or or purchase to where they can learn more about this on their own.
0: Yeah. Um, So I I had a big stack of books. I forgot. I was running from softball practice to here and I forgot. And um, so I didn't bring the stack of books, but I would actually say this. Books are great, but books become outdated almost the moment that they get published. And so That's kind of the nature of the beast with this conversation. And so there are some great books out there. You got a great one back there. Um, The book called The Shallows, which again is not a a Christian book, but it talks about actually the way that the internet is physiologically changing our brain is really fascinating. The book Digital Minimalism is a really interesting, practical look at how you can make some decisions about your family. But I would say a couple resources that I love. Desiring God um, is a website, you know, John Piper's um, website that is updated a lot and has a lot of helpful articles. And then access.org. Um, is an organization that specifically works to equip students and parents for having difficult conversations. And if you take a look at it, um, there, you, there's so many resources on there, I think it requires a subscription, but they're updating stuff constantly and they're talking about current stuff all the time. They probably had 10 articles about how we handle our smartphones just released in the past like six months um, that are all real current and really good and so that's Axis.org. Is that And then the last thing I would say is uh, books that are really helpful are books about the spiritual disciplines. Hmm. I firmly believe that reclaiming the spiritual disciplines will be huge in us figuring out how to navigate this and spiritual disciplines are pretty timeless and hmm. so there's a lot of books out there about spiritual disciplines that I think can help us deal with this in a way that is timeless as opposed to just kind of the latest band-aid that people come up with.